You may be seated. Thank you, Lord, for brethren to sing with me. We're not alone. We have a crowd, and we can sing praise to the Lord. Look at Psalm 47 with me about singing. Thank you, Eric, for leading us. Psalm 47, just a few verses. Children and young people. Noah, that includes you. Children and young people. Berean, that includes you. Mrs. Carnell, Mrs. Evans, and the helpers are going to give you a week of their lives. That's right. They're going to come here every day this next week to help you be a David. Because David loved music, and we just sang David's words, and David would not have just mouthed those words. He'd have sung them with all his heart. Because David did everything like that, above and beyond the call of duty in worshiping God. Psalm 47, verse 5. God has gone up with a shout. That's what it says. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. Amen and amen. Do you have any difficulty understanding verse 6? What's it about? Singing. Amen. Sing. Sing. He loves it when we sing and to sing with the understanding. We have a melody here. We create a melody here. Outcome enunciated words so that we're pronouncing doctrine and truth and encouraging each other in the Lord. The Lord is our rock. We just sang that he's our rock. And our buckler and shield and hiding place, and there is no other rock beside our God. And he will help us. I hope that you're looking forward to being like David. David's resume of 1 Samuel 16 and verse 18 said, cunning and playing. The first point made of six is that he was musically gifted, musically able, and had a skill set that included music. And that's what we're trying to give you this next week. We are defending, promoting, teaching, preserving, and holding steadfast a cappella singing. Do you understand the importance of what we're doing this next week? We're holding up a cappella singing. It's a lost thing in the world because they've wanted to add all their noisemakers to it. We're excited with you, children and youth. Amen. 75 of you. Let's pray for the leaders. Amen. <laughs> That's a lot of you is what I said. That's all I meant. <laughs> Lord, have mercy upon the leaders and their helpers. Yes. And have a great camp. Be like David. Look at David. Wow. God has gone up with a shout. Well, what should we do about that? If our, if our God goes up with a shout, sing. Sing praises. Sing praises. Sing praises. Okay. Let's look at a few more traits of David. Number 49. 48. Well, I'm getting ahead. There's one way to get finished. 48. Overcame his melancholy temperament. 
sorry about the long word, two long words, overcame his melancholy temperament. Melancholy, M-E-L-A-N-C-H-O-L-Y. Melancholy temperament. Temper, T-E-M-P-E-R-A-M-E-N-T. Overcame his melancholy temperament. For any that truly understand the melancholy's temperamental responses to things, David had it at times. A melancholy can think too much to a point of counterproductive paralysis in life. Like Nathan mentioned this morning from Psalm 144, paralysis by analysis because you think too much. A melancholy expands negative circumstances and fleshly emotions above faith because he gets into a negative downward spiral that colors and clouds his whole life. That is just wrong. It's a temperamental weakness and fault and curse. We call it the melancholy curse. A melancholy can get so down they forget God's promises, faith, hope, and reason. They think too introspectively instead of trusting God's word and grabbing that input of his word to counter all the thoughts that are being churned inside by a negative downward spiral of an introverted, overthinking, overcritical, overnegative personality temperamental type. It's not a blessing until you use that gift for details and feelings toward the Lord, not away from him. David had such a temperament because if you read the Psalms, you will find Psalms where he is definitely cast down and talking to himself and wondering if God is gone forever. That kind of negative thinking is a melancholy's thinking. But David wouldn't stay there. And that's what the point is for, and that's what the trait is here for. He overcame his melancholy temperament. Not only did he have that temperament as part of his makeup, he also had circumstances far more severe than anything you have even imagined. And I've been over that many times before, and I don't need to repeat much there, but he would encourage himself in God when his circumstances were terrible. He knew fear, but he knew what to do about it. Trust God and wait. He knew that God's promises would soon come to pass for his expectation to be fulfilled. David also had terrible faults and failures as a man, as a father, and as a king, and they were public. When your faults become public and other people know about them, if you are a melancholy, it is debilitating to your soul to know that other people have just discovered that you're not perfect. And so it's debilitating to you, and you just churn and burn inside about all this junk that now I'm lost, of a lost cause, I'm a mess. Everybody knows I'm a mess. David was, David's sins were public. David was a melancholy, and David had terrible circumstances. Now you start adding up an introverted self that likes to think too much and get too negative with negative circumstances and the fact that I have failed, I'm the king, I'm the man after God's own heart, and I have failed this way. And you go through those and you add them together, that could have destroyed him, should have destroyed him, should have destroyed him. Saul was destroyed for far less. Why wasn't David destroyed? He overcame this melancholy temperamental weaknesses. He was not a historian. His past did not affect his present. He pressed on for God. That is so important not to think about the past. Confess the past, forget the past, and run forward. David would do that. 
David would already be contemplating that when he was confessing his greatest sins. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, then will I teach transgressors, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. In his prayer of confession of aggravated adultery and murder, he's already contemplating his greater service to the Lord. That is not dwelling in sin. That is leaping past it, running over it, forgetting it because it's forgiven by God's faithfulness. He knew the benefits of chastening, and he did not chafe against it. If God dried up his moisture, like we read in Psalm 32, the Lord dried up his moisture because of sin and he hadn't confessed it yet, what did he do? He, was, he did not chafe against that chastening. He went and did what he was supposed to do. He broke his spirit and had a contrite heart, confessed his sins, God forgave him, and restored to him joy, fellowship, and marrow and fatness in his bones, and he was back serving the Lord. If you are a true child of God, you go through this on a regular basis. You sin, you're convicted, you are chastened. You should confess it as soon as you possibly can to cut the whole lesson-making process short and to have your joy, fellowship, and power restored for victorious living. That's what the Lord wants you to do. That's what David did do. God does not measure you like men measure. He abundantly pardons and forgets. He told himself to grow up and act like a Christian man. He he talked to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why are you acting like a melancholy, O my soul? Why are you getting so negative, O my soul? Why are you so helpless, O my soul? Why are you talking that way to me? And you're saying this to yourself. It's in the shower, it's in the car, it's in your bed. Why are you thinking these stupid thoughts? Get over them. David did that in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Hope thou in God. He's not talking to you. He's talking to himself. Hope thou in God who shall yet be the strength of of your countenance and of your life. Beautiful. Right, David? I know. You have a great name. That's all I meant. Sort of. Come on. Those thoughts inside propelled David higher, but they could also take him lower. But when we start that descent, we've got to start talking to ourselves. And I'm talking to every David in here. Everyone that's like David with this melancholy temperament, when we start down, we've got to stop it and talk to ourselves and say, grow up and act like a Christian man. Don't Don't entertain those thoughts. Those thoughts aren't right. Those thoughts aren't from God. Those thoughts aren't even from you. Those are the fiery darts of the devil. That is wickedness. Get thee behind me, Satan. The Lord rebuke thee, devil. I'm going to be like David. The Lord has delivered me from you. He hasn't delivered you from him. That's the problem. You're hopeless. I'm not. And press forward. You know where this is found, don't you? Look at Psalm 42. You're very close if you're still open to Psalm 47. But look at Psalm 42, just so that I can show you David talking to himself. It's in verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. You say, okay, you've got one verse. No, I don't. Look at verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? David talking to himself and telling himself to grow up. And why art thou disquieted within me? Why are you doing this to me? 
Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. And then Psalm 43, verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Remember the three things David had that sometimes make war with you. A melancholy temperament, evil circumstances, bad circumstances, and sins that become known and start to play with your mind. And your circumstances play with your mind. The Lord's forsaken me. I'm in trouble. And your melancholy spirit wants to go down. Talk to yourself just like this. Go right here and talk to yourself and say, grow up. Come on. The Lord's still on his throne. Nothing has changed except those foolish, childish emotions inside of you. Blow them out. Hit the silver lever. Hope thou in God. He's never going to fail you. Put your hope there, not in yourself. Put your hope there, not in your circumstances. Put your hope there, not in your perfectionism. Put your hope there, not anywhere else. Many melancholies talk to themselves. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's just too much. I can't do it. I can't do it all. I can't do it all. That's Sherry coming in my office. (laughs) Sorry. You know I don't do this. I'll be grieving about this one all day. (laughs) Do you know how we start talking to ourselves? Don't make me name anyone. I just named me. Thank you, Lord, for making it a short fuse. Hope thou in God. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul, as David, understood being cast down but not destroyed. And if you get cast down, do some quick talking to yourself and get back up and go do something good that you should be doing. Power for living, power for powerful living, power for victorious living requires this trait. Those without it will have childish meltdowns. If you don't learn to do this, overcoming your melancholy temperament and making yourself grow up, jump up, and go do something profitable. Number 49. Overall rule of women. Overall, that's one word. Overall. Rule of women. Most people, when they think about David, think about his adultery. When they think about David and women, but they miss the man. That was an isolated event in his life. David's adultery and murder were not traits or trends of his, but rather exceptions. Though not stated in the Bible, he won and led Bathsheba to acceptance and favor with God. The woman left, left, the woman lived a blessed life after Psalm 51. God blessed her as David's favorite wife from then until his death. And he blessed her with Solomon, Jedediah, as the Lord called him. Jehovah loves him, was the boy's name by God after their confession and, and togetherness. You know, Bathsheba could have held the murder of her husband, the death of a baby, the taking of her by force, authority of the king. She could have held that against David, 
But we find the two of them close partners together in the proper raising of Solomon because in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, we find that not only was David active in the personal training of Solomon, but so was Bathsheba. He shared parenting, as I just mentioned to you from, Psalm, from Proverbs chapter 4, where it's described. Don't think of that adultery and murder as traits of David's life because they weren't. They were exceptions to the traits that we're working through. And the trait that I want to give you right now is his overall wise management of women. Compare David's relationship to wives with those of his son, the wise man Solomon. Is there any comparison? There is no comparison. David chose Abigail for very different reasons than Solomon chose his wives. Do you know how Solomon chose his wives? The more exotic they were, the more he wanted them. What is the Bible word for exotic? He couldn't stand a natural citizen of Israel. They were too boring. He had to have exotic women from other nations. Outlandish. Outlandish is the Bible word used for Solomon's selection of women. Why did David marry Abigail? Well, let's get both reasons out there so that we're honest. She was very beautiful, and she was a woman of good understanding. And the way he was introduced to her was her good understanding in saving him from sinning. Solomon could not rule his women. They turned his heart from God. They're the first nine verses of 1 Kings 11 are horrible on how the women of Solomon turned his heart away from God to the worship of pagan, idolatrous gods of the Canaanites. Molech and other gods, he built temples to them for his wives. David? David comes home in 2 Samuel chapter 6 after having danced with all his might in the street, not in his kingly regalia and robe, and his wife Michael, the daughter of King Saul, his first love, criticizes him. Did she turn his heart away? No. No more than Job's wife turned Job's away. When Job's wife said to him, curse God and die, he said, you speak like the foolish women speak. Are you kidding? Shall not God bring some evil once in a while in our lives along with all the good that you've been enjoying for the last 70 years, woman? Job handled his wife. David handled his wife. So you think that I humiliated myself before the nation of Israel today? Well, I'm going to be a little bit baser than that. Um, You are never going to have a child and you're going to be consigned to widowhood the rest of your life because I'm never going to touch you. Get a load of that. Because God picked my family tree for his kings and kings and kings and king. And he's cut your family off completely, and I'm going to help him finish the job. That's in 2 Samuel 6, verses 20 through 23. That's managing your women. David did rule his wives, even his first love, as he showed with Michael in 2 Samuel 6. This is very different from Solomon. David did multiply his wives sinfully, but not nearly to Solomon's excess. God allowed this fault with many of the men, even patriarchs, against the creation ideal. But God told David that he could have had more eligible women from Israel, but he should not have taken another man's wife. In the explanation about his sin in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Solomon's 700 wives and 300 concubines are absurdly and foolishly extreme. David didn't have anything like that. David also had great male friends outside his women 
like Jonathan, like Ittay, like Hiram, and we do not read about such a thing with Solomon except his counselors. And he didn't listen to anyone anyway, because look what he went and did. No counselor worth any salt would have let him have 700 wives and 300 concubines. You should see David's restrained and wise rule for the concubines used by Absalom. When, Abs- when David came back into Jerusalem after Absalom had defiled his concubines in the palace rooftop, he set them apart in perpetual widowhood as well, keeping a rule of Deuteronomy chapter 24. Every man to be like David does not look to his adultery, but rather to his wise selection of women and management of those women after he had them. That's the trait of David, of overall rule of women. Number 50, he always trusted God. He always trusted God. Number 50, he always trusted God. David likely endured 15 years between his anointing by Samuel and actually becoming king. The word trust is used 50 times in the book of Psalms alone where David wrote about it. Whenever he was afraid or faced fear, he put his trust in the Lord. Look at Psalm 56. Psalm 56. What a wonderful book on the shelf of the Divine Library. The book of Psalms. Psalm 56, verse 3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. There's David. In God I will praise his word, verse 4. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Didn't we sing something like that in Psalm 3? When Psalm 3 said, Though ten thousands, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. To be surrounded by ten thousands of people. Psalm 27 says, Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. I do encourage you to memorize Psalm 27. It'll have something good for you on every day of your life. He always trusted God. He knew the real key to success was to obey and trust the Lord. When facing terrible situations, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He trusted God in different ways when dealing with Goliath and with his son Absalom. He chose three days of pestilence in God's hand was the best option for David. The prophet Gad gave David some options as to what he could choose, whether he wanted to be chased by his enemies or he wanted to fall into the hands of the Lord and have a pestilence for a few days. He chose the hands of the Lord because he trusted God to be merciful. He he was always trusting God. When Nathan told him, your love child with Bathsheba is going to die, David went and fasted and prayed seven days. And afterwards, he told his servants how it all worked. Because when he heard them talking that the child was dead, he got up, washed himself, ate, and went in and worshipped. Or went in and worshipped and then ate. But he explained... While the child was alive, I still had hope. Because a living dog is better than a dead lion. While the child was alive, I had hope because who I don't care what God said to me one time. He could change his mind because of his great mercy. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. 
His mercy endureth forever. Hezekiah was told, set your house in order, thou shalt surely die. Did he set his house in order? No. He turned his face to the wall and begged God. And before Isaiah could get out of the middle court of the palace, God had already reversed his judgment, which he had planned to do all along. If you don't understand that, sometimes the Lord says things or leads us ways to see how we're going to trust in him. And Hezekiah trusted very well. And so God moved the sundial of Ahaz backward 10 degrees to show Hezekiah that he was going to get 15 more years. David was like that. Do you trust God that much with your children? Do you think your children would be in better hands in your hands than in his hands? You are wrong. Whenever they get behind that steering wheel and leave your driveway by themselves for the first time, it is scary. I saw a picture this week. Charity. It's charity. You thought you had got away with one. Charity. Charity driving, Jonah driving, Emma driving. Pictures were sent to me this week. But you know, when they leave our driveway in a deadly weapon, and I like to call it a a deadly weapon, guess what we've got to do? We've got to trust the Lord. I had five sons that were committed to keeping Fender Mender in business on Pleasantburg Road. They still love me. If I walk in, they'll tell every customer in the waiting room that they wouldn't be in business if it weren't for the Crosby boys. (laughs) The last time I walked in, they bowed and scraped and said, we have good news and bad news. The good news is we've heard your boys have grown up and are acting like mature men. The bad, no, that's the bad news. Your boys have grown up and are acting like mature men in their driving. The good news is we've heard that you have 18 grandchildren. All of that was to say, and, and it's, I remember my father-in-law, every time I left the house with Sherry, drive carefully, and I was disrespectful on the way to the car, and now every time one of my children leaves my house, guess what they hear, or often, drive carefully, drive carefully, and it's because we change as we get older, we get more sober about the realities of life and the dangers that are out there, but we trust the Lord. The whole point of all that I just said was not to entertain you, but when they drive out the driveway, you still got to trust the Lord. He's got to protect them. The angel of the Lord is encamped with them and will protect them. And Lord, protect our children. Protect our children. It was hard to get killed in a horse and buggy. It was hard to get killed riding a pony to the neighbor's farm. Help us, Lord. We're going to put our trust in you. We can do one better than David. David said, as long as the child was alive, I could put my trust in the Lord that he might in his mercy save his life. Do you know there are examples in the Bible where it is not true what we have said from the pulpit and what I've said, I still like the little rule. The little rule is we pray until the baby dies. But God's raised the dead and God's raised little babies. There was a great woman of Shunem that her little boy was in the field helping his father, my head, my head, and came running into his mother and died of a brain aneurysm or something on her knee. She laid him on the prophet's bed in his little prophet's chamber, 
asked her husband for permission to be gone for a little while, and she rode furiously to go find Elisha. And she would not take Gehazi, and she would not take Elisha not coming with her. She forced the prophet of God to go with her back to the house, and he raised that boy from the dead. So you can keep right on praying after the baby dies, because we're not really talking about just babies. We are talking about events that have reached a place where we think it's impossible for them for there to be recovery, and we just keep right on praying because nothing is impossible to the Lord. Amen. So we keep trusting in the Lord. Number 51, he was a liberal giver. Number 51, he was a liberal giver. Oh, David trusted the Lord. And, but now he's a liberal giver. He was liberal giver. He provided for the whole nation of Israel after dancing with all his might before the Ark of the Covenant a good piece of flesh, a loaf of bread, and a flagon of wine. Three things. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 19. Three things he provided for the whole nation of Israel. The Bible tells us men, women, everyone got to eat by David. His creative generosity, especially to the Lord, fulfilled the devising text. I want you to look at Isaiah 32 because... It is Isaiah writing about men like David, but it's not David writing the words. Isaiah 32 and verse 8. It's a wonderful verse. The word liberal here is not a political liberal. It's not a Democrat. The word liberal here is a generous person. And the opposite word is a churlish person. Churlish. C-H-U-R-L. A churl is a stingy, selfish person that doesn't throw their money out. Verse 5, the vile person shall be called no more called liberal, nor the churl said to be bountiful. Those are opposites. Don't worry about that verse, it's opposites. A churl is a vile person, a liberal person is bountiful. But now verse 8 is what I want. But the liberal deviseth liberal things, and by liberal things shall he stand. The generous man is creative to think of generous ways to give his money away, and by those generous ways to give his money away shall he stand. He will stand before God in this world, Psalm 112. He will stand before Jesus Christ and be approved in the next world, Matthew 25 and 1 Timothy chapter 6. They both describe God's blessing on a generous, liberal man and by liberal things that he devises. It takes creativity. Sometimes, you brethren, you need to be thinking, what could I do special? There was painting done this week. It had to be devised. Then it had to be done. But it was liberal. In sweat equity, in time in planning, in purchasing, in cleaning up, in preparing. Think about how much is necessary. But David was a liberal giver. He was liberal in the spirit of Isaiah 32 and verse 8. He devised liberal things. He defeats all of his enemies. He's sitting in his house. You know the story well. What can I do? I don't golf. I won't golf. I hate golf. What am I going to do? I won't go to the senior center. I hate the senior center. What am I going to do? 
What's the Lord being worshipped in a tent for? That's ridiculous for God to be worshipped in a tent. I will build him a temple. It will be the most beautiful temple on earth because he deserves it. Now, how's that for a little retirement project? Brethren, listen. His creative generosity, especially to the Lord, fulfilled that devising text I just gave you. The liberal man deviseth liberal things. He's thinking, what could I do that would be extra special, that would be above and beyond the call of duty for the Lord? And it doesn't take a lot of money. The painting took sweat, time, effort, preparation, planning, execution, and finishing it. Using that as an example, I'm sorry for anonymity being so severely lost, but I haven't mentioned any names in a few minutes. Some give only when God requires it, but David devised significant extra giving. Giving when God requires it is not liberality. It's mere obedience. It's mere commandment keeping. The Bible mentions both tithes and offerings. They're not the same. A tithe is not an offering. You haven't offered anything to the Lord. You've given him what he owes, what you owe him, what he owns of yours. And they do not carry the same value with God. David knew that. David didn't hint, or David didn't tithe for a new temple. David paid for a new temple. David planned for a new temple. David encouraged the whole nation. David got Hiram of Tyre involved in this project. He built the whole program up for that temple. God had not hinted at a temple, the costliest gift possible, but David devised it anyway. What was wrong with this man? Or what was right about this man? He gathered with, you do something special for that mother. As to the Lord, doesn't have to be expensive, just doting, tender. What is she like, peppermint chocolate bark? Sounds good. Do something nice. Devise something liberal. More than a hug and a peck on the cheek. It's, it's to be like David. But David's is to the Lord. And you wanted to give the Lord something and you already did by getting up here in front of much people. God hadn't hinted at a temple, the costliest gift possible, but David devised it. He gathered with all his might for the temple. Does it say that? He gathered with all his might? It says it. How did he dance? With all his might. So he was always doing above and beyond the call of duty because duty didn't mean anything to him because there's a whole other level of serving God and delighting in him and wanting to devise liberal things. And he enjoyed devising liberal things for the Lord. He gathered with all his might for the temple and it wasn't a mere tithe. He did not shortchange the gift at all, but rather made it as expensive as possible. As expensive as possible. Because the palace is for God, it's not for men. It's got to be exceeding magnificent. And he gives us an example. He was a liberal giver. Do you remember when the sword was drawn in the hand of the angel of the Lord over the city of Jerusalem? 70,000 men dropped from the pestilence because God had occasion against Israel. David confessed his sin. The angel sheathed his sword. And David ran to the spot to build an altar of sacrifice to the Lord. It was property owned by a man named Arana or Ornan, 
two different names, a Jebusite. What was the issue about money there? Did Arana act like a king and, give, and try to give him his yoke and his oxen, burn the yoke, kill my oxen on it? And the Bible tells us that Arana behaved himself like a king. And I've tried to exhort you, there's a kingly way to live, and it's, it's generosity. This man gave up his livelihood and said, just go ahead and offer this right here. And David said, I will never worship the Lord that doesn't cost me. What is the market price of those things right now? I will pay. And he did pay. That was David because he was a liberal giver. He gave thoughtfully of the spoil from the Amalekites. When he and the 400 went on and gathered everything from the Amalekites, his wives and his children and all his stuff, and all the spoil he took from the Amalekites that had been raiding among the Philistines, when he came back, the Bible lists elders after elder after elder in various cities of Judah that he sent gifts to that had been kind to him throughout his whole life. 1 Samuel 30 ends with this long list of recipients of gifts from David because he was a liberal giver. When he had time to reflect after he was king, and it took several years, he had made a covenant with Jonathan that they would honor each other even in their descendants. And so he asked, is there any one of Jonathan left? And he finds out there's a lame little boy named Mephibosheth. Did he send him food coupons? He sat at his table like a son. He treated him like a son at his table. The Bible wants you to know that. He didn't merely feed him. He sat at the king's table like one of the king's sons. And liberal givers are still God's favorites in the New Testament. That's number 51. He was a liberal giver. Do you know that there are chapters in, the, chapters in the Bible that I'm just blowing right over about the amount of money he raised? How much iron was there? Couldn't be weighed. How much brass? Couldn't be weighed. How much silver? Gargantuan amounts of silver. Gargantuan amounts of gold. Cedars. Stones. Cut out by craftsmen from Tyre. He was a liberal giver. Number 52. Humble. Meek. And modest. And we'll end with this one. Humble, meek, and modest. He was anointed king of Israel in 1 Samuel 16 by Samuel at about 15 years of age. After being with Saul for a while and serving as a minstrel, playing the harp to help King Saul, he returned and kept family sheep. Would that be hard to do? After you've been in a king's court and to have that kind of a reputation... And to be anointed king, to go back out there and keep the sheep as the youngest son, he did it. When interviewed by Saul after killing Goliath, David was very modest. I am the son of thy servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. Didn't give his name, nothing. When offered Saul's daughters, he was offered both of Saul's daughters, Merib and Michael, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, both times. When it was brought to him news that the king was thinking of letting him marry one of his daughters, me? Why me? I'm not fit to be a king's son-in-law. No, you're just fit to be king. No, the whole nation loves you. No, you're more famous than Saul. No, you killed Goliath. You're the man after God's own heart. Did any of that ever go to his head? None of it. None of it. Does everyone get that in here? 
The whiff of pride is the ruin of graciousness. Do not let it corrupt your family. Do not let it corrupt you. A whiff of pride in ill-spoken words or actions or haughtiness is not like David. Look at the examples I just gave you. Look at Psalm 131. Psalm 131. Though he was anointed, he kept the family sheep. He was a gopher for his dad. After being anointed, after serving in Saul's court, when he was interviewed by Saul, he was nothing but the son of Jesse, thy servant, the Bethlehemite. When he was offered Saul's daughters, two times, each daughter, he did not think himself worthy to be the king's son-in-law. Wonderful stuff. That's what we want to be like. We're nothing. He's everything. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he'll exalt you in due time. Did that come true in David's life? He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, and God did exalt him. Psalm 131. Lord, what does it say above this psalm in your Bible? Psalm 131 in an Oxford Bible. David professeth his humility. A song of degrees of David. This is David's words. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. There were years where David could have questioned God by exercising his mind in how things should have happened but didn't happen. He just blew all of that out. He blew out any consideration that was too high for him and turned it over to the Lord in the Lord's providence or in the Lord's wisdom. My heart is not haughty. Mine eyes aren't lofty. I don't exercise myself in great matters. And things of state before I'm there, they're too high for me. And so I just leave them alone. I don't scream and fuss like a little baby for its bottle. I'm like a weaned child. I'm just content to wait until the next time there's a feeding. And that was David. May the Lord help us to be that way. David referred to himself in prayer to God as the son of God's handmaid. He didn't say, Lord, thank you for hearing me. After all, I'm the man after your own heart and the stud of Israel. He didn't say anything like that. He said, remember the son of thine handmaid. That is humility. Asking God to remember him as merely the son, eighth son, of Jesse's wife. He told God that he was no one worthy of God's affection or promises in 2 Samuel 7 when they had that wonderful exchange about David wanting to build God a house and God said, instead, I'll build you a house. He was not too proud or protective to declare that he was weak. Look at Psalm 6. Psalm 6. Trait number 52 is humble, weak, meek, and modest. Humble, meek, and modest. Psalm 6, and verse 2. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. As you go through the Psalms, like Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is about his victories, but he will say, My enemies were too strong for me. 
he'll admit that in himself he was weak compared to the task before him, and but God delivered him out of all his troubles, and God delivered him from all his fears. And here in Psalm 6 and verse 2, he says, I am weak. His psalms include confessions of youthful sins, present sins, fears, and groaning, among others. Was David God's favorite? Yes. Did God promote David? Yes. Because he obeyed the book of James, chapter 4, verses 5 through 10. And with that, we'll close. Turn to James 4. Though not written by David, David obeyed these verses before they were written because he had the same spirit in him that inspired these words from the pen of James. James 4, verse 5. Before reading it, could David have envied Saul for 15 years? Should he have envied Saul for 15 years from a natural standpoint? Yes, but he didn't. He trusted the Lord and humbled himself. I'm not good enough to be the king's son-in-law. What are you guys talking about? Why do you talk about it so lightly? The king's son-in-law? What a, This is David. I'm trying to share him with you. I want to be like him. Verse 5. Do ye think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Do you think the Bible wastes its letters and words by telling us that our spirits love to envy others? No. Envy is a part of the natural man. Verse 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. David did those verses right there, those six verses, and God did lift him up. We could stop at each verse and look at some of the traits that we've learned to see the fulfillment of those verses, and in the end result, David lifted up by the Lord. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.